Uh, today we're looking at, of course, the book of James. Uh, we're looking at the last part of the book. And this was a letter written uh, by, by James to the members of the church around 2,000 years ago. He was the pastor of the church uh, in Jerusalem. And he was a pastor during tense times. There was a lot of persecution and oppression and it was difficult for believers. If you just imagine you've got a, a city of, of Jews and then you've got this small, relatively small church of Christians, life was difficult. Uh, if you're in business, um, when you became a believer, a lot of your clients would no longer come to you. So it would be very difficult. And what a lot of people did, of course, um, apart from the fact that it was difficult, a lot of people actually dispersed and went and lived somewhere else. But what happens though, it happens the same now as it happened then, when we're it, during a tense time and under pressure, what happens is is that failings within us or the problems within us tend to percolate to the surface. And James was seeing this and he saw that in the behaviour and attitudes of the members of the church, so he wrote this letter to them saying to them, um, look, what you, uh, saying to them, it's a difficult time for you, Things are coming to the surface, but this highlights the fact that you need to grow in Christian maturity, which leads me to the title of the talk today, which is Seek to Become a Mature Christian. And today he's just dealing with four issues um, throughout the whole of the book. There's a whole range of very, very practical. James is known as a very, very practical book. Throughout the whole book, he, he's got all these different issues, but today there are just four, uh, four ones in particular. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I've divided the talk into four parts. The first one is to be patient in suffering. Then, that's for verses 7 to 11. Then verse 12, uh, make no frivolous oaths. Verses 13 to 18 is to pray for physical and spiritual healing. And verses 19 to 20 is with regard to helping to restore the rebellious believer. So let's go back to the first one which is to be patient in suffering. That's verses 7 to 11. The reality is, is that we will suffer. All of us will suffer to a greater or lesser degree. We have either suffered, are suffering now, or will suffer in the future, or it could in fact be all of those. That's just the reality. When you think about situations like, for example, divorce, unexpected death, financial problems, health issues, just relationships with other people, we are going to come across um, the problems we have in life. And I don't in any way want to downplay the, the, the difficulties that you have either dealt with, are dealing with now, or will deal with in future. All of us can have some very, very traumatic and difficult times, times of suffering, but... One of the verses we often use in our growth group, in our Bible study group, which we have in our church, this is one which constantly comes to mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And I know it's tough to say that, and, and I wouldn't want it to be interpreted as to make light of people suffering. It doesn't. But really what it does, it talks about the reality that that is the case, that God is working through all the situations uh, within our life. Let's begin with verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. I want to tell you about one thing that I've experienced recently, which is not a dramatic suffering, but still it did cause me some concern at the time and still does. 
My wife and I, we went out to, thought we'd look at some of the outback recently, and we went out to Charleville and Longreach and places like that. And um, on the road between Charleville and Longreach, bang like that, I looked to one side, and what flies out of the grass on the side of the road, you can imagine, a kangaroo bangs into the front of my car. Um, and my car is now... Um, we're waiting the past to come from overseas to repair the car and it's probably the car will take six or eight months to get fixed. I can't drive it at night. It's not even legal to drive it during the day because the indicators don't work. And I suppose that is a mild form of suffering, but I didn't real, I thought I was a patient person, but I'm not as patient as I thought I was. But he's teaching me, be patient then brothers and sisters until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Then he goes on and says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. So when he says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, of course, that's the sort of common byproduct of stress, isn't it? that we start picking fights or we get very, very uh, picky when we're dealing with other people, uh, from the family or even people outside. Then it says, don't grumble or you will be judged. He's not talking there about a person losing their salvation, but rather he's talking about what I would call, it, it, typically we use the expression the day of judgment. I like to use the expression day of accountability for believers. We have to give an account for our life on that day We'll have to stand before Jesus and explain what, what we've made of this incredible gift of salvation that we've received. Or you will be judged on that day. Then it goes on, the judge, who is Jesus of course, is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And if we think back over the Old Testament prophets, uh, most of them of course were very, very badly treated. Jeremiah, he was persecuted. I just really love the story about Jeremiah. I can really sort of connect to it, even though he did all this, all these wonderful things, and yet the people simply chose, basically chose to ignore him. And of course, who was the greatest prophet of all? Prophet, priest, and king, Jesus. And what about the treatment which he received? These are examples of patience in the face of suffering. Verse 11, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. So what did the Lord finally bring about in Job? Job's one of my favourite books, I love it. Uh, what did he finally bring about? In the midst of all of this, Job didn't know what was happening. He didn't know why it was happening, the situation that he was in. He didn't, he didn't know the backstory. But at the end of it all, what did the Lord finally bring about? He restored the wealth of Job and he also refined his character. I think that's the most wonderful thing. Um, what's God more interested in? Is he more interested in our comfort or our character? It's our character that he's more interested in. This is the attitude we must have. I also remember at the time I was, um, sometimes I'm tempted to think, well, it just happened by chance that I was reading through the book of Job at the time. Uh, but I went through a time of, um, you know, my time of suffering and, um, and, and the key verse came out to me and it wasn't, that was God's plan. He wanted this verse for me. And it's often considered to be the, the tipping point 
um, or, or, or the key verse or the tipping point in the book of Job. And it's, 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 I still remember, it's the most beautiful verse, Job chapter 13, verse 15a. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Though God allows me to go through the most difficult times, he allows it to occur, God is sovereign. Everything that occurs in our life, he has either initiated or he has allowed it to occur. Though he slay me, though he allows me to go through difficult times, yet will I hope in him. Yet will I continue to trust him, to know that he loves loves me and cares for me. And that, that, I found that just a wonderful um, relief in that. And this verse um, 11 finishes, it says, The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. There will be times, of course, that we go through experiences. We might question that. But then I think it comes to this question, as we go through difficulties, how do we end up? Do we end up bitter or better? There's a choice there for us to make, isn't it? Are Are we dragged down by our experiences? Or do, in fact, we come out better the other side? Bitter or better? It's something that we must get right. Right up. Let's look at the next section, which is make no uh, frivolous oaths. Now, he's not talking about oaths when you go to court and you've got to swear on the Bible. He's not talking about that. Yes, that's fine. But we're talking about oaths that come out, um, just people in general conversation. Verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Let's go back and look at that and see what we can get out of that. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. Of course, this is not talking about swearing or cursing. It's not talking about that. So we want to make that, be sure about that. So it says, do not swear. So, so why, do we, why, why do we sort of add things to our answers to guarantee, in effect, the reliability of our words? Just to have a simple yes or no, we think, well, we've got to put more in. It says... Do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. You know, and that can be hard to do, can't it? You know what I mean? Just to say yes or no, it means people are taking us at our word. But why do we need to add more? Can't we be trusted in what we say? The temptation is strong, of course, yes, to add more, but simply say yes or no. Then he finishes by saying, otherwise you will be condemned. What's he saying saying there? If you say, if you give a sort of, um, if you add and if you make a frivolous oath, does that mean you will be condemned? No. But what it means is if, if this sort of mindset of having to add all the time and not, not knowing that your word, that in a sense that your words can't be trusted, if that is cemented, if that is a mindset cemented in our mind, then we're, we're sort of setting our eternal destination. It is something we do need to address. No frivolous oaths. Righto. Let's look at verses 13 to 18. This is a very important, very, very important area. Pray for physical and spiritual healing. Let me say at the, at the, at the start that I believe that there is great much eternal gain in suffering. And I don't, once again, I don't want to downplay that. You may have gone through some very, very difficult times. I don't want to downplay that at all. But I think that the, the mindset we need to say is 
there is great gain to be achieved. Let me just read to you one verse which which will often come to mind when it comes to prayer. I also want to read John chapter 14, verse 14. Jesus said, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So when we look at that, we say, well, that's very straightforward, isn't it? Everything we ask for, God will do it. But we know in reality that that's not what occurs, so there's got to be something more to this than just what, what, what springs to our mind uh, when we first read it. Let's read it through again. You may ask me for nothing, sorry, you may ask me for anything, and this is the key words, in my name, and I will do it. So there's a condition there that's been added in. What's the condition? So whenever, whenever it says, in my name, it's saying when we ask for anything that is in line with Jesus' will, or in line with the totality of his character, and all that he is. We don't know God, God's sovereign will. There's a lot about it we simply do not know. Why have you had so many floods in Gympi? We don't really know that. God knows that and he sent it for a reason. What it is, we just don't know. Um, so, 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 we've got to be careful when it comes to prayer that we understand that there is a condition there and it's very, very important that we get it clear. Let's look at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Let's just think about that, that last verse, verse 14. If, is anyone among you sick? So it's referring there to not just being uh, our health, our physical health, but it's also referring, I believe, to our spiritual health as well, which is in fact more important. If you rank the two, the spirit, our spiritual is vastly more important than our, than our physical health. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. What does this anointing with oil um, actually mean? Because different people have got different ideas with regard to it, but I believe that what it means, it signifies setting someone apart for the Lord's special attention. That's what it's designed to signify. Setting someone apart for the Lord's special attention. I remember we had a, 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 not our pastor at the moment, but our pastor before, um, he had a very serious problem, which was carpal tunnel. You may, some of you may know carpal tunnel. It's a severe sort of pain you get in your wrist and in your hands and he, he tried doctors and he couldn't do anything about it anyway one of the elders said well why don't we just pray for him and anoint him with oil well that's what we did that's what we did that's the first time I had done it some years ago now and and our pastor gained significant relief as a result of us doing it so I, I know that it's been done and it, 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 it proved to be effective and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Listen to verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Let's look at that. So we need to be careful about it. We need to be careful once again about how we read this. 
and the prayer offered in faith what's the faith he's talking about there? the faith is that God can achieve his will that's what the faith is referring to that the God you believe in can achieve what it is that he chooses to do in his sovereign will and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well will make the sick person well if it is within his sovereign will and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the Lord will raise them up God does raise people up but it's not necessarily in the sense of persons being healed just because they pray I think of the wonderful example of Paul remember the story about Paul where Paul, the, the Apostle Paul um, he prayed three times that, that an issue that he had would be taken away and God said no I'm going to leave it with you and when you think about it it's a wonderful thing isn't it a man like that I, we don't know this all conjecture about what it was that he had was it to do with his eyes or something like that we don't know um, but, but I can really relate I just think it's a wonderful thing that God left that with him I think probably to humble him or to, as, a, as a way to teach him, to help him to grow. We don't know, but I think it's a wonderful thing. Right. Now we're going on the second part of verse 15. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. What is referring there, sometimes um, uh, uh, something that needs to be healed is the result of sin being the cause of it. Right. But that's not often, that's not always the case. That often is not the case. But if they have sinned, they will be forgiven if if sin is the cause. Verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to each other. Obviously we need to do that wisely. He's saying to be open to other fellow believers, to trust them, to relate with them, to build right relationships with them, but to be done wisely. Uh, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Then we look at the second part of this verse 16. The prayer, and I've misunderstood this for quite some time, but I did understand it better now. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When you read that, you typically think the prayer of a righteous person is referring to someone who's, well, it's not me it's referring to, it's referring to some super saint that God listens to them. No, it's not. It's not referring to that. It is referring to anyone, a righteous, who is a righteous person? A person who is a believer. It's a person who is a believer. So it's not just simply referring to, to super saints. The prayer of a righteous person, that's someone just like us, with all of our weaknesses and shortcomings, is powerful and effective. Isn't that encouraging to know that? It's so encouraging. But I also mind the two, and I think this is part of it, it's part of being um, a, a mature believer is from Psalm 60, 66 verse 18 where it talks in there about harbouring sin harbouring sin in our life that that is a hindrance God will not hear our prayers if we harbour sin in our life I like to think that sometimes what we do is we have little sins that we put in our back pocket we keep them there most of the time but every now and then we, we tolerate them and we harbour them and we bring them out and then later on we maybe put them back again. But the point is that's harbouring sin. And it's very, very clear. God says if you go to Psalm 66 verse 18, 
You may, we may be a believer. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But if we harbour sin, that is a direct obstacle to God hearing our prayers. Verse 17. Let me just read this bit through. It says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Let's go back and look at a bit of that. It says, Elijah, who's Elijah? Of course, he was an Old Testament prophet, right? On. Was a human being even as we are. So what's, he, what's, what's James trying to get at? He says, he was, Elijah was a human being even as we are. Elijah was held in the very, very high esteem by the people who were reading or, or hearing this read. Held in very high esteem and, and, and they would think, well, hang on, that's Elijah, but we're just normal, weak. We're not Elijah's. But then he says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He's trying to get across the point that Elijah achieved much, but he's just like us. So it's giving us a sense of confidence uh, with regard to our own prayers. He prayed earnestly, etc., that it would not rain. So, so what did he, why did he pray that for? To punish Israel for idolatry. What, we, we have idols in our culture. They had definitely had idols back in, the, in that time as well. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. What he's saying here, using the example of Elijah, is there's hope for us, isn't there? We are also the righteous people. We may not be the super saints, but we are the righteous people that God will listen to. Right, let's listen to the last, the last part, which is verses 19 and 20, about help restore the rebellious believer. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. I'll come to that, remember this bit in shortly. But let's come back to the start. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth. So what's he mean? What is the truth that he think? So he's talking about restoring the rebellious believer. We're all rebels to some degree. Uh, and also sometimes, more sometimes than another. But the point is, this is applicable to all of us. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth. He's probably referring... The truth, he's probably referring to all the issues that he's raised all the way through the letter. There's a whole string of issues that he's raised. Just practical Christian living issues where he's saying to them, hey, you're falling short. You're under stress. It is revealing this lack of maturity in your life. Do something with regard to it. That's probably, he's probably referring to those sins. But he also may well be referring to people who wander from the truth. What's the most, the most important truth? The most important truth, of course, is the gospel. Jesus, who he is, what he came, what he did, what he will do, and what is our response uh, to that. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Bring that person back. What? Speaking the truth in love can be hard, can't it? I remember, um, uh, well, a, a, a lady I spoke spoke the truth to in love, and I thought I spoke very, very, very mildly, very mildly. Um, but she didn't see it that way, and she left the church soon after. But it was what I thought was a very, very uh, simple thing. 
but it just goes to show how careful you have to be. Uh, so it doesn't, it, 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 it's not necessarily easy to speak the truth in love, but it's what we call to do. Then he says in verse 20, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Remember this. Can I just, just before you go on about that, speaking the truth in love to people, isn't it a very, it's a difficult thing, isn't it? And we real, real need, really need wisdom about how we go about it and love and just care and a right relationship. So there's an awful lot involved in doing that, in offering advice or suggestions or commentary on a person's life. So we've got to be very, very careful. Right. Then he says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. So what's he mean by death? Primarily, if we're talking about a believer, I would say death there means fruitless Christian living. If not fruitless or less fruitful Christian living, or if a person was an unbeliever, it would be saving from death, which is eternal condemnation. That's what it would be referring to. Then it says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. What's that mean? A multitude of sins that they would have committed if they hadn't changed their ways. Right? So for what they would have um, committed. Right. We've gone through the whole of the passage. We've said at the start, the first section is to be patient in suffering. There's so much to learn from suffering. As difficult as difficult. It can be brief or it can be prolonged suffering. But without diminishing in any way the difficulty of suffering, it's good to try to learn and to see and to reflect on the good that can come from it, the eternal good that can come from it. Be patient in suffering, make no frivolous oaths, pray for physical and spiritual healing, and help restore the rebellious believer. There the headings, I go back to the title of the talk, which is Seek to Become a Mature Christian. All the way through the book of James, very, very practical. It's a difficult time. People are misbehaving, if one, one, or they're being rebellious, or they're acting in an ungodly or an unchristian way. And so he's giving them practical suggestions. And what's he saying? He's saying, I want you to seek to become a mature Christian. I would love you to, it would be lovely to say that it can happen overnight. I know from practical experience, and I'm sure you do too, that it doesn't happen. It would be lovely to be, but it doesn't. Let me finish just reading a verse from, uh, and there's very many similar verses to this, but just one verse from the Bible, or part of one verse from the Bible. It's from Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verse 1, the first part of the verse. Let us move beyond. This is God speaking uh, through the, um, the book of Hebrews. Let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. That's what God wants of us. He wants us to seek to grow to become more and more mature. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Lord, I pray that this passage of your word is clear to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would treat it seriously, that we would come and talk to you about it, that you would give us a desire, a real desire, Lord, to become a mature believer. In Jesus' name, Amen.